Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. Whenever and wherever you're listening, we just wanted to extend the warmest of welcomes. So kick back and relax as we continue through our sermon series. Well, yeah, it's good to be with you. My name is Larry. I'm the lead pastor here. Um, if this is one of your first times with us, so good to be with you as well. We are doing a walk through the book of Matthew. It's found in the New Testament. It's the first book. It was written by a disciple of Jesus named Matthew. And we're really unpacking the life of Jesus. And so that's one of those things that we've uh, given you. Like Jeff talked about, we have a journal. Um, we're on page nine in this one. If maybe you're new with us um, and you want the journal volume one, we have some of those. We can totally hook you up. I know there was a handful of people this last year that came and they were like, I'm going to go back and just slowly in my quiet time or like when I'm driving around, I'm going to go back and catch up and listen to all that stuff. So that's also available to you. We've got some great technology on the website that'll allow you to do that. And um, each week it has a scripture we're talking about, kind of a title and what we're going to kind of talk about. And this week is Jesus followers make noise. Um, We've been, um, like I said, going through this verse by verse, really slowly, just trying to chew on these things. Last week, um, Joe Grana came in. I had to go away. Um, there was an emergency, and I'm so thankful that he came in and um, got to facilitate a memorial service for a fallen officer and their family. And he stepped in, and he got to share um, about these miracles that Jesus has been doing. These last couple of chapters, Jesus has been doing a lot of healing, a lot of different miracles, and we're kind of in the midst of that. We're going to see that again today. Last week was a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years and a little 12-year-old girl um, who had died. And right now, what we're, what we're starting to see is Jesus is actually starting to pick a fight with the establishment uh, and religion itself, and how it's being activated and treated, and culture itself. He's starting to turn things upside down. We've used that language before, this upside-down kingdom, and what this looks like. And so he's picking this fight, and he's actually going to those who are on the outside. So you have uh, a woman who is ceremonial, seen as unclean because of her bleeding or her hemorrhaging, uh, and also that she's a woman, um, and so he's breaking those barriers down. He goes to a little girl who is dead. Uh, and he's breaking those barriers down because you can't touch. It's, that's considered unclean and also a woman. And so he's reestablishing some things. And eventually what we're going to see is he's picking a fight. He even picks a fight then with kind of the epicenter, which is the temple. Uh, and he's going to say, I'm going to tear that veil down. I'm going to tear that down. And there's not enough room for the two of us. We're going to reestablish this thing, this new covenant that's going to take place. Um, and so this is all part of it. And, and today, we're going to kind of catch up. I'm going to read you the scripture in this section. We're actually going to be covering this section of scripture for the next two weeks, this week and next week. Let me read it to you. I'll explain a little bit more. <clears throat> it says this in verse 27, chapter 9. As Jesus went on from there, this is from the little girl's house. Two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and they asked them, uh, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said, Well, yes, Lord, of course. We followed you into your kitchen. Then he touched their eyes and he said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Then this really fascinating thing happens. Jesus warned them sternly. Oof. See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. It's fascinating. We're going to get into 
more of this next week. And I'm going to, it's called exegesis. I'm going to tear it apart. There's a ton of things that we get to learn in here. And we're going to unpack some things. And even, you know, I was all week looking at that sternly idea. And he's telling him, see it, nobody knows about these things that I've done for you. And I was like, oh, ooh. Like, that's how a lot of us like to live. We, we like private Jesus. We're like, I like that one. Like, we're not to tell anybody. They're just going to figure it out. Like, they're going to figure out one day I'm not blind anymore. <laughs> I've been faking it, right? That'll be next week. It's going to be fine. Um, but this week, um, I'm back, and so we're just going to do one verse. <laughs> and you're like, no. Verse 27, that's where we're going to hang. It says this. As Jesus went out from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. So here's what I could do with this story is we could sit here and I could be like, check it out. Here's another really cool story. There was these two people, they were blind. They followed Jesus. They chased him down. A lot of scholars says that was even maybe even Jesus's home where he was staying and they followed him inside, invited themselves in and calling out to him, have mercy on us. And he said, oh, do you believe I can do this? And then he touched him and he healed him. And we're like, wow, that's great. Let's learn from that and have a great week, right? We could do that. I feel like for today... Um, that it is my duty, our duty to contextualize this. Because you see, there's always a story underneath a story. Jesus just didn't do things and he just didn't tell stories for it just to be this plain surface, two blind guys got healed because they had good faith. There was always some sort of spiritual piece to this, some other aspect for us to dig into. And so today I want to contextualize, I'm going to peel off that layer and point to those things. So you know, this fancy new cool fun thing. I'm going to show you what I want you to focus on, which is this: that there were two right here guys that they were blind. So they were blind, like they were hanging out. They had a buddy. They were following him, and this is a really big one. It goes along with what we're calling this today. They were calling out. They were making noise, and then this one's really important. They were saying that Jesus was the son of David, which essentially they recognized who Jesus was, that he was the Messiah. So today we're going to focus on that there was two, they're blind, they followed him, they made noise, and they knew who Jesus was. So how can we contextualize this for you? What's going on here, and what I believe that we can see, is that when you're blind, where are you? You're in the dark. You can't see anything. You feel trapped. You're in like a dark place. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about today for those of us who might feel blind. Not physically, but mentally, emotionally. Scientists tell us, and we would all have to agree, that we are addicted to technology. Scientists tell us that our relational skills are dwindling Families are splitting up. Kids are left to defend themselves and grow up faster, far more than any generation before. That anxiety has excelled uh, almost every family table. That kids, you students, you live in a fishbowl of comparison. That even if you wanted to, you can't escape the world of bullies that bully anyone and everyone they see fit to do so. So it's no wonder 
that when you read study after study after study that teens and young people in their 20s are battling depression at these unprecedented rates. It's a reality. It's complex. Depression is complex. Mental illness, anxiety is complex. But it's here and it's in all of our lives. It's affecting every single one of us. And if you're in the middle of this storm, you already know that it's true. And I, I want to make sure today that mental illness is not just this, we know that it's not just this one size fits all problem. That mental illness happens for all kinds of reasons. Anxiety happens for all kinds of reasons. Depression happens for all kinds of reasons, whether it's trauma in our lives, because of genetic circumstances in our lives. It happens because of chemical imbalances in our lives. It happens because of stress in our lives, external circumstances in our lives. Mental illness sometimes and anxiety is sometimes caused because there's parts of us that are broken and we were putting on this facade to make sure nobody knows that we're broken. That causes all kinds of mental illness. One of the greatest frustrations about mental illness is that you can't see it. Like you can't touch it. Scientists can't um, show you on a sonogram or an MRI or a CAT scan or a blood test. There are symptoms for sure. But you can't see mental illness. And that makes it even more frustrating for people who are fighting and struggling with anxiety, depression. And so obviously there's like not a three-step formula, right? There's no simple answer. There's no Band-Aid. And that's why I'm not going to give you a whole bunch of clips today. Um, I'm not going to try to offer this one-size-fits-all solution. I... On the other hand, even as a believer in Jesus Christ, want to respect the force of mental illness. It has the power to steal, kill, and destroy. And I believe that the church needs to get into the conversation, that the big C church, as well as Northgate, small C church, and the way that we need to is the church needs to wake up and understand the power and the grip of darkness that people are struggling with and facing in their lives and that we cannot just push this stuff aside. We can't just say like, oh, you'll get over that. You can do it. We can't just give the simple bumper sticker answer to people. We've got to respect it, that we're talking about a powerful force in the lives of people When we talk about mental illness, if you haven't had suicidal thoughts, then I'm just telling you, you cannot fully understand what that is like. That's not a knock on you. But until you've been there, you don't fully understand what this battle would look like. Even those of us who have been through severe depression or bouts of depression like myself, we don't even fully understand what we've been through. But not understanding isn't going to give us an out to be silent. We're not going to go silently. No, we're going to stand up and we're going to speak up. And today, we're going to shine a light into the darkness, even the darkness that maybe we don't even fully understand because we do understand Jesus is good and Jesus is a light in darkness. And depression, it does its best work in the dark. And so today, all of us have an opportunity to step out of the night and into the light, to step out of the isolation that can be depression and anxiety into community where we can be honest about who we are and what we are struggling with. 
And stepping into the light, we can change. Something can change. I'm going to tell you this. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not an expert. I'm not a psychologist. But I've been down in the pit of depression. Many of our young people have been in a place where lies incubate, where you never thought you were going to be yourself again, where you thought you were literally losing your mind. And if you've been there, then you can relate. I've been in that place where it felt like hope was extinguished. And I'm telling you, and I'll say this a thousand times with the help of doctors, with Jesus, and the weapon of worship, you can make it back to the land of the living. I know that what we need and what I needed in those moments of darkness isn't someone to come along and give you a shout out and be like, Larry, you can do it. You got it. Like, you, you got this. You're strong. It's not what you needed in the darkness. And it's not what you needed down in that pit. You didn't need a shout out. You needed somebody to actually just show up and say, I've been there, I see you, you're not alone. And I think there's this beautiful significance to that there was two blind men. They found one another and said, I see you, you're not alone. Now let's follow and make noise. You needed somebody to show up and say, you're not alone and you're not the only one. And you didn't know that the world was full of anxiety and depression and mental illness until you were there yourselves. And then when you do, you realize that half the world plus is mentally ill. (laughs) They're all struggling with this. And if you didn't know that already, you're welcome. (laughs) If you didn't know that already, you think that you're the only one going through what you're going through. But we as a church, a faith community, have compassion for people who are struggling in this way. And so I'm here today, and if you're in that place, not to offer you something simple. I'm not here to just shout you out and say, you got this, you can do this. I'm here to tell you this, you're not alone. You're not alone. And I'm here to tell you that you can make it through this by the grace of God, that he is bigger than anything you're facing. And I'm here to tell you that I'm taking depression and anxiety and mental illness seriously. I believe that depression is real and it's a killer, but it's not bigger than Jesus. It's not bigger than Jesus. And I want you to know this. You're not crazy. You're not crazy. There might be a boatload of crazy in your anxiety and your depression and your mental illness, but you are God's handiwork and you are greater. Can you receive that? You're not crazy. You're like, well, you should see the things and the symptoms that I'm having. Like, like you should see the thoughts that I'm having. You, you should see the things that my body is doing. I've seen that all before. And that's why I say that there's crazy in it, but you're not crazy. God created you and you are God's handiwork. And I just hope that we can be the kind of church where we can talk about it, where people uh, don't feel like they have to like hide and put on this facade of the things that are going on in their world. And this is one of the realities that's going on all around us. This massive depression, anxiety, mental illness, it's everywhere. Thoughts of suicide and suicide is happening everywhere. And the church needs to talk about it more. Suicide, as you know, is one of the fastest, if not the fastest, growing killers amongst young people at an incredible, steady pace, especially among teens and people in their 20s. Nearly 800,000 people die by suicide in the world each year. That's roughly one death every 40 seconds. 
Suicide is the second leading cause of death in the world for those aged 15 to 24. Depression and anxiety is the leading cause of disability worldwide. But it's not just young people. The next group is men and women over 70. It's also predominantly a white problem, specifically a white male problem. Seven in 10 people who take their life are white men. And it's not just some problem out there, right? Because if you understand this, if we open our eyes, we'll see it's in our communities. Like it's in our schools. It's in this building. And I'll tell you right now that Jesus is wanting to step into that conversation. He's wanting to step into that fight. He's wanting to step towards people who are thinking of giving up on it all. And I hope that by speaking about this, we can destigmatize mental illness and destigmatize the struggle with suicide. Could, friends, it be possible that the church can become a place where people can walk in and comfortably say, I'm not okay. I'm depressed. I'm on medication. I'm in treatment right now. I've been struggling with thoughts of taking my own life, or actually, I attempted to take my own life, and the church wouldn't reel from that conversation, but the church would lean in, that we would lean in and say, with welcome arms, welcome home. Welcome home. Yeah. And I believe that when we get real like that, then the stigma comes down. The stigma come down. I believe the church needs to say, and this is a, a fantastic mantra, it's okay to not be okay. And I will, I will add to this, if you need help, get help. If you need a doctor, get help. Doctors are gifts from God. They can be a part of God's plans. All plans that bring healing are God's plan for healing. I believe that. It says that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of life. And I'll just say that if you need help, get it. We want to make sure that we just don't put up this church veneer where we've got it all together and we dressed up nice and look at us and, you know, I'm like, okay, and you're really just not okay. We've got to make sure that we don't forget where we came from and what we came through. And if you've come out of darkness, maybe you've experienced this and you're coming back to life and you realized, finally, I'm going to make it out of this hole and back into my right mind, you have a choice. You've all had a choice. You could choose to either close the door and never talk about it, act like that never was a part of my life, and that's a choice many of us want to make, and I'll say men particularly, or just even as a human. But then you realize, I have to steward my story. I have a responsibility to talk about maybe a miracle of God's grace, and somebody needs to hear that story that you're not alone, that this is going to be a bumpy ride, and I've experienced those same things. Everyone in this room that has a relationship with God, we all have defeat in our story, right? We've all overcome something. We've all come through something. And the worst thing that we could do is when we get through it all, and then we act like we never went through it at all. And when we're honest and we're real, I think the stigma is lifted, if you just show up today and you're not part of this church, or maybe you're not even sure where you are with Jesus, I want you to know something about Jesus. He's not like that. He's not like putting on a fake show and saying, come to me perfect. Don't get my robe dirty. I'm going to be clean. I want you just all put together. He's not into veneer. He's not into fake. 
In fact, he actually said, I came to heal the sick. He said, the well, I'm not here for them. I came to seek and save those who were lost. And it's when we're honest with who we are, where we are, what we are, where we've come from, that we then become candidates to experience the almighty power of God. And Jesus here right now, he's here to heal. He's here to save. I just want to take one more step and say that we've got to give people some time and space to heal. It's a process. Restoration takes time. Transformation takes time. Now, can Jesus do a miracle right here, right now? Sure, 100%. Yeah, I believe that. But at the same time, we want to come to the understanding that sometimes the miracle takes a moment. And for you, the miracle may be that you just make it until tomorrow. That might be the miracle. That not all of a sudden, instantaneously, everything went away. The miracle is just as big for you that you made it to Monday. Praise God. That's a huge miracle in your life. Oh, but did everything go away? No, but I'm still here. I'm still standing. And that's a big miracle of God in my life. It's a process. And so if you are here, it's okay to not be okay. We see you. We hear you. We are here for you. We love you. And on top of that, we are you. And we have a place for you. Northgate is a community that is here for you and with you. So we got to destigmatize this. We also, friends, need to deglamorize suicide. We need to deglamorize suicide. You say, well, how is uh, suicide glamorous? Well, I want to tell you that the enemy has a way of making everybody horrible, everything horrible in our lives, glamorous in two specific ways. First is suicide is glamorous that somehow the culture has created this insidious whirlwind, and it's called suicide contagion by the scientists. So example, Robin Williams takes his life, and in the four months that follow, suicide rates in America go up by 10%. The other way the enemy glamorizes suicide is by telling us that everyone is going to be better off when they're gone. It tells us that everybody's going to be better off when they're gone. Kurt Cobain wrote a long goodbye letter At the end of it, these two sentences he wrote to his wife, Courtney, these words, he said this, keep going, Courtney, for Francis, this is their daughter, for her life, which will be so much happier without me. I love you. I love you. That's the glamorizing power of suicide, that my daughter's life is going to be better without me. I wonder if Frances's life has ever been better off without her. I can't answer that. Only she can. But I can tell you that most likely it's not going to be better for you or anyone else if you take your own life. It's not going to be better for you because it's not God's purpose for you and God's plan for you. It's not his plan for you. Your destiny is not leaving. It's in staying. Your destiny is in staying and it's certainly not going to be better for those people that you love. You may be free from earthly pain, but you're going to trap all of those around you in a different kind of pain for the rest of their lives. So don't believe that you're a burden. Don't believe that you are a burden. That one choice can allow you to escape all of your pain, but when you make that choice, everyone else 
and you think that they're going to be better off without you, it is not the case. No one will be better off without you. Those you love will be left aligned. Their lives, they will live out their lives with guilt, with a cloud, with self-doubt, with questions, with pain and anger for the rest of their lives. Now, all the while, they will feel maybe even like they weren't worth fighting for. They'll know that it wasn't you that took your life. They'll know that it was this darkness ravaging inside of you. And it wasn't you thinking clearly. They'll know that intellectually, but it will be a gut punch to their soul. And it will be agonizing and it will be painful. And I want you to hear this. Suicide does not alleviate pain. It multiplies it. So even in the pain, trust God to do a miracle and give you just another sunrise, another day to believe in him. It's important, friends. It's so important we talk about this. We destigmatize it and hopefully deglamorize it. But we also need a better mantra. I told you a good mantra is, is it's okay not to be okay. But it can't just be that it's okay not to be okay. That can't be just the end of the mantra. We should be able to say that in the church, but that can't be the total message, right? Why? Because there's a resurrection in our story. We know the end. We get to live in the New Testament life where there's a resurrection in our story. And that's why we continue to point people to Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, because even though we may not be okay, Jesus is okay. He is a victor with scars and he has overcome. He's in this place right now. He understands what's going on. He's in our midst, alive from the dead, having come through this, this darkness. And he, friends, is okay. So therefore, you can say that even though I am not okay, Jesus is okay. I can say, I'm not 100% okay right now. But I want to add this. Jesus is 100% okay right now. I can say, I I feel like I'm losing my mind right now. But I want to add this. Jesus is not losing his mind right now. And we're not just saying some little slogan. You can say this with me. I want you to say this with me. I want you to say, I'm not okay, but Jesus is okay. You got this? Ready? I'm not okay, but Jesus is okay. I want you to believe that, and I believe you, and you can actually participate in your own future by confessing things that are true over our lives. Because in large part, our words, the things we say, determine our destiny. If you're saying all day long, I'm not gonna make it, I'm not gonna make it, I'm not gonna make it, I don't think I'm gonna make it, I don't think I'm gonna make it, guess what? You are upping the odds that you're not gonna make it. There's a a counterweight to the weight. And the weight is real. Depression is real. Anxiety is real. the, The situation is real. It's all real. But there is a counterweight, friends. And the counterweight is just as real. And he is real. And he is okay. So I'm gonna finish the sentence. We're gonna finish the sentence. I'm going through the hardest thing. I'm in the darkest night. I'm in the biggest trial. I'm up against hell itself, but I will come through it. I'm I'm gonna finish the sentence about my own destiny. 
If I don't see it, if I don't believe it, I'm still gonna speak it because Jesus, in fact, is alive from the dead and he has overcome darkness and he is okay. And you can say, well, what difference does it make, Larry? What difference does it make that I'm gonna say this? I'm telling you, friends, that confessing and bringing Jesus into the darkness gives just a little glimmer of light that can come crashing into the blackout of depression and anxiety and mental illness. And that one little ray of light can bring you another day of life. I know this to be true. I've been there and I know that you can be broken all the way down into the bottom and still in the midst of that confess that Jesus is a healer at the same time. That those two things, they don't have to match and be congruent all at the same time to be real. That circumstances never corroborate fully the faithfulness of God. That you can't trust circumstances and what you're going to to fully corroborate the faithfulness of God. That sometimes actually circumstances are the opposite of everything that we think and believe about God. But I'll tell you this, the cross in the future and what we know of it right now does fully corroborate the faithfulness of God. It stands in history as proof that our God is good even in the darkest night. And you can believe that about God. And when you're broken down at your weakest state, both of those things can live together. And when you start confessing the reality of who he is, things can change and light can come in. Even it's just this little speck of light. So I want to encourage you, use the power of your mouth. And you're like, I can't. My depression is horrible. My depression and my anxiety, it's worse than it's ever been. My anxiety is like so bad. I can't even get out of the house. My situation right now, I don't even know if I'm going to come out of this. I've never been this bad off before. No one has been able to help me. Nobody's been able to solve this. Nobody's been able to diagnose this. I can't see a future. Things haven't changed. It's been like this for a long time. Friends, I'm going to tell you, if you're saying that, I'm saying this because I love you. You're already using your mouth to say something. Can we just finish the sentence? And speak into that. Why not finish it? I've never been this bad off before. Nothing has changed in three weeks. But Jesus, he's still okay. He's solid. He's true. He's still got his right mind. He's still strong. He's still a healer. He still loves me. He still has some kind of plan for me. He's still light. He still restores. He still cares. He's still there. I'm not too far gone. I know it's never been this bad before, but Jesus is still good. He's as he's ever been since the day he gave his life for me on a cross. I believe it, and I'm going to keep confessing it. I'm going to say it. Friends, it's not a simple fix. You may need help, and if you need help, get help. But if you're getting help, use the power of your own tongue to create a future that you can live in. And the future is, I'm not going to die. I know it feels like I'm going to die. I know it feels like I'm going to die, but I'm going to live. And I'm going to have a story to tell of the faithfulness of God in my life. And I'm not going to close it up in some closet. I'm not going to hide it behind this Christian veneer and show up and act like everything's okay. I'm going to tell the world that that's where I was, but this is where I am. I'm going to tell the world that that's where I was, but my God brought me through it. That I was so far down, but God lifted me up and brought me out again. I will not die. I will live. I'm not okay. Jesus is. And that's my story. Yeah. And every time I say that, I'm bringing just a little glimmer of light 
of Jesus into the psych ward, into the situation, into my anxiety, into my depression, into the voice of the darkness that's saying, take your life tonight. And I'm saying, I got another voice because Jesus is okay. My God is okay. My God, he's okay. I'm not okay, but my God, he's okay. His name is Jesus. And I'll say lastly that the church needs to create a story whereby we can realize and understand that God might not take all the pain away on this earth. This isn't just a believe more, pray harder conversation. So many people that are contemplating taking their lives or they're overwhelmed by depression and overcome by anxiety. The sentence that they often say to me is, I don't know if I can take the pain one more day. And somehow I feel like at times the church, we as the body and the church don't have an answer to that, except um, just pray more, uh, just to have, believe more, have more faith, or just, just get over it, fix it, right? And I believe the church's answer to that is maybe that it's not just pray more, but pray that God would alleviate, not just praying that God would alleviate the pain, but maybe you need to say to Jesus, Take it to him. Jesus, you understand pain more than anybody has ever understood pain. So can I, can I bring this to you and trust that I can just have one more day that you can use my pain to bring out eternal good, eternal change through me in my life and the lives of other people? Maybe the church needs to say, instead of pray this quick prayer and all the pain will go away, let's say, Let's take the pain to Jesus and find that there's purpose in the pain because there was purpose in Jesus's pain. And you say, well, yeah, there was purpose in Jesus's pain. It was for our healing. And we're going to stand in that moment and where he's going to wipe every tear from every eye and where there's going to be no more sorrow. But I'm going to tell you, that's not on this earth. There's going to be no more death. That's not on this earth. There's going to be no more crying. There's not, that's not on this earth. There's no more tears. It's not on this earth. That's in forever. That's in our forever home with Jesus. And if you need help, get help. But I want to encourage you to stay. Would you stay? Stay for your family. Stay for the church. We need you. Stay for the world. You have gifts. We need your gifts. Stay. Contribute. You can make this world better. We need you. We need that. Stay for your kids. Stay for your wife, stay for your husband, stay for your job, stay for God and his glory. Stay another day. Don't leave. Stay. I'm just asking, I'm encouraging you to open your mouth and agree with God. My God loves me even in the pit. And he is with me in the middle of it all. And if I lean hard on Jesus, I'm going to see another sunrise. And if I bring my pain to him, he will help carry me through one more day. And somehow he will triumphant over this because God is greater, whether it's in this life or the next, he can do a mending work in me. I am not okay, but Jesus is. Some of you just needed to be saying that in your heart, your mouth today. I'm not okay, but
but Jesus is. Now, connecting it all the way back to the story, verse 27. And Jesus went on out from there, and two blind men followed him. They found each other, and they pursued him, and they made noise, calling out, I'm not okay, but Jesus is. He's the son of David. I'm not okay, but Jesus is. Have mercy on me so I can make it one more day. Today, if you're here and and you are overcome or you have struggled with anxiety, depression, maybe you're here today and you've had suicidal thoughts or you are having them, I want you to know that you are not alone and you are so loved. I wanna pray for you. I've been all week kind of walking through and struggling with this and, and how we should have this type of conversation. I believe that there's a possibility, whether it be online or here in this room, that maybe one of you have already decided that this was gonna be your last Sunday. You already wrote your letter. You already decided when it was gonna be. You already decided I can't do anymore. That I don't wanna walk into the next thing. And this was gonna kind of be one of the last things, one of the last times you were here. I love you. Can I say that that's you or if any of that is you, I'm gonna tell you right now, I wanna pray for you. I wanna hug you. I'm giving hugs today. (laughs) I don't usually give hugs. So much so that in in just a moment, we're gonna respond and worship. We're gonna sing a song, but I'm gonna invite you. I'm gonna leave immediately and I'm gonna go to a room called Temp 2. You can go right up during this song and make your way out into the lobby and they'll point you right to it. It's right across from the restroom. It's called Tim 2. I'm gonna be in that room. And the first thing I'm gonna do and the first thing that our prayer friends are gonna do in there is I'm just gonna, I wanna give you a hug and tell you you're not alone and say you're not okay, but Jesus is. And we can get to another sunrise. We can ask him just to shine a glimmer of light into overwhelming anxiety depression, mental illness, thoughts that everyone would be better off without us. You are so loved. So in just a moment, I would love to pray with you, for you, hug you. I'll be back in that space. You can swim out there. There is no judgment. We're all gonna stand up right now. I invite you to stand and I'm gonna make my way there. Aaron's gonna pray for us as we respond and worship. And this concludes this week's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed spending some time with us. And if you haven't already, like and subscribe to our YouTube and find us on Instagram at EngateCF. See you next week.